Um, if you can please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to thank, first of all, Rex and, uh, and our praise team for shepherding us and leading us this morning. Thank you for that. Um, and just getting us ready to look harder, look deeper, get our focus on Christ. And ultimately, that's what every worship service is about. And we, we pray that that would be this worship service this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to actually read from verse 22 of the previous chapter. And you can stay seated. Uh, chapter 1, verse 22, all the way to 2, 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn, ba- like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Well, I want to begin this morning with a very, very simple question that that is perhaps the most or one of the more basic questions that we should ask ourselves, we should ask one another as Christians. If you call yourself a Christian, the simple question this morning is, are you growing? Right? Are you growing? Is there true character change going on in your life? Actual heart transformation? Right? Not are you living a better life or behaving better? which I think goes along, of course, with growth. But right deep down inside, are you really growing? Right? Is your love for Christ increasing? Does your heart warm up to him more than it did you know, before? Are you growing? And that is, you know, that, that, that question, I think, when we ask it to ourselves, it's like the, uh, the, the prayer question or the giving question. It just kind of cuts us down, down to size and any pride that we had in ourselves or any any sort of like um, sense of entitlement or worth all just goes out the window because when you ask that question and you're absolutely honest with yourself, I think a lot of times we, we're going to have to kind of stop and go, yeah, am I growing? I mean, is this is what the Bible says about Christian maturity and Christian growth true, true of me? And the fact of the matter is, right, everyone wants to better themselves and everyone should whether in a worldly sense, okay, or in spiritual sense, everyone should and should want to better themselves. And if you think about out in the world, that's why, you know, self-improvement resources are the most popular nonfiction books that sell, right? Whether it's about dieting or organization skills or job performance or the economy or management or parenting or romance, right? Everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to enhance themselves. Everybody wants to get better. I mean, if you just take a look, as I did, the New York Times bestseller list. This is hardcover advice and miscellaneous. July 17, 2011. These are the bestsellers that people are reading. Number one, go... Oh, I can't read that. Number two, (laughs) it's the go to sleep book. I don't know if you've heard of it. It has a a children's book parody for tired parents. All right. Number two, the aging myth revealing how recent genetic discoveries are challenging traditional anti-aging philosophies and helping people 
live younger, longer. Number three, the 17-day diet. Guess what that's about. Number, uh, number four, the Ducan diet by Pierre Ducan. Number five, cinch. Cinch. Number six, the four-hour body. Number seven, how to get out of your own way by Tyrese Gibson because he's an expert about this. Number eight, Love Wins by Rob Bell. We're not going to get into that. Number nine, The Secret. You heard about that? Rhonda Byrne, The Secret, The Law of Attraction as a Key to Getting What You Want. And number 10, Plenty. Vegetable recipes that draw on a wide variety of ingredients and culinary heritages. We all want to get, most of those books are about dieting. A couple of them are about self-empowerment, right? Self-improvement. We all want to grow. We all want to get better. And um, you know what? It, we should. I mean, even in a worldly sense, to some degree, it's, it's, it's okay. It's, it's expected. Like, think about your resume, right? You know that if you have a certain degree, right, if you have a certain certification, if you have certain work experiences, it's going to get your foot in the door, right? It'll be a, it'll start a conversation at least, right? But, you know, if you kind of just stay where you are, Right? What happens is you'll stay there for a little bit and then you'll just start to slowly deteriorate and over time you'll be all the way down here, right? right? Eventually though, but eventually, you know, in the worldly sense, after all the growth that you get to and all the improvement and all the betterment that you do, eventually for everyone, inevitably what happens is after all the growing up, inevitably you do grow back down, right? You will grow down. You will age. Right? Gravity will win out. You won't be as quick, you won't be as smart, you won't be as fresh. You may have more experience, but there will be hungrier, more talented, more this, this, and this type of people, the next generation, coming to take over your position. But in the spiritual realm, God says, outside, everything is breaking down, but on the inside, everything is being built up. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 to 18. Because on the inside... Right? The immortal part, the immortal part. What, what we're made for is growth. That's what we're designed for. I mean, Romans 8, 29 says that God predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so the spirit inside of us is all about growth, spiritual growth. Right? But how does it happen? Right? What's our part in it? We go to the text. Chapter 2, verse 2. This is the heart of it. Like newborn infants, newborn babies, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up. You may grow up into salvation. Peter basically says, as you draw in this power, right, this spiritual milk, you mature. You mature as a Christian. So the question is, what is the pure spiritual milk? Let's settle that. And when we look at it, we have to look around it. And that's why I read, verses, I read from verse 22 on. You've got to look at the context. What is he talking about? What is dominating the context? Look at verse 22. You've been born again. Oh, sorry. Verse 22, purifying your souls by your obedience to the truth. Verse 23, you've been born again, not of perishable but imperishable seed. What? Through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever. End of verse 25. What is this word? It's the gospel, the good news that was preached to you. Chapter 2, verse 2, long for the pure spiritual milk as opposed to physical milk. Peter's point is the pure spiritual milk is the word of God. 
And the centerpiece of that word is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what the whole Bible is about. So the message of the word is the gospel. Long for it. That is what Peter is saying. That's, That's the heart of it. And furthermore, Peter says, it's pure, right? It's uncontaminated milk, right? Contaminated milk leads to sickness. You remember that whole scandal in China with the contaminated powdered milk? Do you remember that not too long ago? And a bunch of kids died because they, uh, their parents gave them that, right? Contaminated milk, right? What, what, what merchants would do back then is they would dilute the wine and they would dilute the milk to, you know, stretch it out a bit. Right? But in the process, what happens is that these things can easily become contaminated, especially something like milk. This is pre-pasteurization, right? So the point I think Peter is making is any other milk is impure. Any other milk is actually contaminated by nature. That milk could look like nutrition. That milk could even taste good. That milk can even feel like nutrition for a time, but it's a bait and switch. Once you take this any other type of milk, right, whether it's the philosophy of man, political ideologies, self-help therapies, other religions, and you say, that's my milk, that's my source of sustenance, what's going to happen is over time, it's going to break you down instead of build you up. It'll weaken you. It'll take the life out of you. But this milk, the pure milk of God's word, it strengthens, it gives life, it gives spiritual health. It'll help you to grow to conformity to the image of Christ. Psalm 19.7 says, the word of God converts the soul. And this is the milk we should long for because it it makes all the difference in the world. If you draw upon this power as opposed to some other power, this milk will grow you in ways that you and I can't even imagine. So, from the text, three things we want to see about this longing for the pure spiritual milk, longing for the word of God. Three things. Number one, what is it? What does it mean to long for the pure spiritual milk? Number two, what does it lead to? So if I drink it, then what? And number three, how do I get it? How do I get the longing inside of me? All right. And I think the answer will surprise you. Number one, what is it? Number two, what does it lead to? Number three, how do I get it? So first, what is it? What, is, what does it mean to long for the pure spiritual milk? I mean, that word in and of itself, I mean, we could just do a whole study on it because it's such a powerful word, right? I mean, normally I don't think we use the word long on a regular basis or yearn. Another way to translate it would be crave, right? I mean, to really mean that word takes a lot, doesn't it? And that's what Peter is getting across here. That's the sense, to crave it. In Psalm 42, 1, in Psalm 84, 2, it's, it's used there like the soul is so thirsty, it's fainting, I long for you, I'm so weary, I absolutely desperately need you, or I will die. That's the sense. And Peter draws a comparison to infanthood. Right? Infanthood. And I think that's very, very appropriate for our context with the baby boom we've been having. Right? Just as a baby craves mommy's milk, so we should crave God's milk, his word. Think about it. Parents, moms especially, moms of children under one, moms expecting these children to come very shortly, right? Think about how much your baby craves your pure milk, all right? It is absolutely the strongest desire in the, wor- in the, in the world, right? That at newborn absolutely has to have that milk, right? And it's like clockwork. Every three hours, right? Boom. And they need it, right? 
sometimes a little bit more than every three hours, unfortunately, for your sleep. It's the strongest, most vigorous pool in all of nature, and that is what we are called to have. That's what Peter's talking about. That the word of God would possess such a dominating attraction to our spiritual appetites that you and I would settle for nothing less. You and I would settle for absolutely nothing less. My wife, she's a good source about me, says I have somewhat of an obsessive personality. And uh, after a while, you can't disagree with your wife keeps telling you that you have somewhat of a, this kind of personality, with, with certain things, okay, not overall. And uh, she says that she sees it here and there, and I say, hopefully I'm growing. Um, but I can definitely look back, and I can see what she is talking about, and I, and I go, Mom, Dad, why didn't you say anything? They just kind of let me go in my obsessions. Well, I have an experience that illustrates this kind of craving Peter is getting at, but not at this lofty level. It's kind of base illustration down here. So when I, was, when I was a young teenager, and I don't remember exactly what age I was, but I was a young teen. I could have been 12 or something. For some reason, there was uh, this Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. Right? I had to see it. It was just out. It was, it was, it was just fresh out on VHS. Right? <laughs> and I, I had to see it. I absolutely, and I, and I still to this day, as I you know, went into the depths of my soul. I could not figure out why I had to see it at all costs. Like, it was life or death. It was like craving for the pure milk. I had to have it. So, yeah, this John claude Van Damme movie. So I went to my local video store. Back then, it was called The Warehouse. Remember that? I went to The Warehouse, and <laughs> it wasn't there. You know, and so it's, it's Friday. DVDs come out on Friday usually, right? Oh, sorry, VHS tapes. They used to come out on Friday, and they would have a wall of the new, and the new tapes get more, right? And I think there were at least a few of them. He was kind of popular back then, right? He was pretty famous. And I went there and every copy was already gone, much to my, much to my dismay. So what did I do? I went to the next video store. And much to my dismay, all the copies were gone. So what do I do? I went to the next video store, all right? In the other city. <laughs> was it there? No, all the copies were gone. What did I do? I went back home and I called several other video stores. I have to have Jean-Claude Van Damme movie right now. They said, sorry, check back with us later. It wasn't there. No luck. So I go back to the first video store, and I had a crazy idea. I said, maybe I'll buy this movie. Right? I'll buy this tape. You know, DVDs come out nowadays, and they're like 20 bucks, sometimes 30 bucks, right? Except, except for the ones that are like 3D with 8,000 bonus features. And so I went to the video store, and I said, all right, I'm going to buy this thing. You know, back then, how much video, videotapes cost? It's ludicrous. New videotapes, when they came out, cost like $70. Brand new tapes. Anywhere from like 50, 60, 70, sometimes $80 to buy a brand new VHS, VHS tape. And at that moment, you know, my, just, my stomach sank. You know, I, and I, I couldn't do it. I, could, I don't have that money, and my parents are not going to pay for it. And I went home very, very dejected, very, very sad. But you know what? My longing did not end, right? My longing did not end. I went home, and for a whole week, I could feel it in my gut. I could feel the draw, the pull of this movie. My, my, my whole soul wanted it. My 12, 13-year-old soul wanted it. It was as real as anything in the universe, right? A week of intense yearning until finally I secured a copy of it a week later, and I was like, eh, it wasn't that good, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was all that longing, and it ended up in, and that's how it is with every other longing except for the right ones, right? 
Now think about it in your own lives, right? Think about just anything you had to have, whether it's silly, whether it's sublime, right, good or bad. Think about anything you had to have and think about how that craving alters everything, right? I mean, it, I'm not just saying it alters your emotions, it alters your appetite even. It alters your schedule. You will rearrange your life to get this thing that you have to have, right? I mean, the craving in our hearts for these things. Uh, think, about, I mean, think about some regular cravings, right? Husbands, if you're away on business trips, right? If you've been away from your wife, you're on a conference and you're away from your wife for several days, haven't you craved to be with your wife? and maybe with your family, with the rest of your kids, with your kids, singles craving for marriage, teachers longing for summer break, right? Counting down, doing this on your calendars like a prison sentence. <laughs> Have you ever craved to be belong to an inner circle, right? Craved the respect of your peers, craved a certain status, craved a certain lifestyle, craved right, the affection of your parents, craved a friendship, Craved status, com comfort, security. What are you longing for? What are you longing for? Right? These objects of longing, many of them, they are great things, but they are not the nourishment that we need. I mean, you compare them to God's milk and all these other things, even the great ones, they all become like Jean-Claude Van Damme movies next to the pure spiritual, pure spiritual milk. Right? Now, before we get to point two, just for a moment here, why does Peter say, you know, why, why just this word long for? And let me just tunnel in a little bit deeper. Let me just give you one extra thing here. When he's drawing a comparison to the infant's desperate need for milk, what I think we can learn from this is that Peter is saying that word intake, right? Medit you know, engaging with the Bible, studying the word of God, all that should not be over-intellectualized should not be over-intellectualized. Right. Uh, we talked about how, you know, Peter is talking about something visceral, something deep in the gut. Well, I think Peter, Peter is, an application we could draw here is that Peter is saying the word shouldn't be an end in itself. You know what I'm talking about? Like an end, like that's it, just read the word, just study the word, and that's it. Right. The problem is, I think, that it's more likely in a church like ours that, you know, we uphold faithful biblical teaching. We want to be good stewards of sound doctrine. I think we're known for that. That's what we kind of want to be known for. Maybe we boast in that a little bit. A church like ours, we're not going to be too, like, touchy-feely. We're not going to be mystical and too emotional, I think, right? But our tendency might be to be maybe too stale, too dry, so concerned with orthodoxy, so concerned with our rightness and getting all the theological pillars in place we build this lofty, like, castle to the truth around it, but it's so lofty, no one can go inside and enjoy the goodies. Right? Look at our edifice to the truth, God, people of the world, other churches, right? But savoring, enjoying, tasting, as Peter says later on. Is there room for that? Experience and a sense of wonder and closeness to God that's not mutually exclusive with truth and doctrine. Look, if I'm going deep in the word and I'm taking it in like my mouth is on a hydrant, right? And I'm just turning that thing full blast and I'm taking it all in, but I'm not like inside really longing for this milk as an infant longs for his mother's milk. I'm more concerned with getting every, everything right and proving myself and 
defeating and refuting arguments and accumulating knowledge, then my heart is not in the right place. I'm not like a newborn infant before God's word. You know what I am? You know what I think I am? I'm a finished product. I'm polished. I don't really need God's word. You know what I'm doing at that moment? I'm using God's word. Why? To prop myself up, to make myself feel better, and to push other people down at, the, at what? So that at, at the benefit of myself, to lift myself up, right? In my own estimation. I'm not worshiping. I'm a user. And you know what users are? Users ultimately can only long for themselves. The word is not an end in itself. It's a way to a greater end. And that's point number two. What does the milk lead to? Right? right? If it's just knowing the word, just read the word, why would Peter put long for it? Why? Number two, what does the milk lead to? Verse two, grows up, okay, grow you up into salvation. Grow you up into salvation. Now, by making this comparison to infants, Peter is not saying, we don't get the sense, right? Peter's not saying, all you people that I'm writing the letter to, you guys are just babes in Christ. You guys are just all newborn Christians. You need pure spiritual milk. You're immature. In other contexts, like in Hebrews, that's true. That's what he is saying. But in this context, that's not what he's saying. It's the intensity of the longing that he's making, he's, he's, he's drawing an analogy for, right? But in one sense, we are all infants. We're all Christian infants. All Christians are infants. That's, I mean, before God, that's what we really are. And that's what we need to admit, right? That we are in desperate need, desperate need for God to give us everything. What you are today, what I'm today, is a pale shadow of the glory that we are going to have later on. The Bible promises an amazing glory for all of us. A glory that when we get revealed, man, all of creation is going to rejoice. Trees are going to start singing, all right? Dolphins are going to start talking to you. If we don't see that, if we think like, you know, if we don't see ourselves as infants before God, you know, and I don't mean that kind of false humility, oh, I'm so immature as a Christian, I'm so, I don't know anything, not, not that kind of false humility, but, you know, yeah, recognizing Lord, I, I, you're everything to me. Without you, I can't, I can't be sustained, I can't sustain myself. If you don't admit that, if I don't admit that, I am a lot worse off than I know. Look, no matter how much we're doing for Christ, how well we think we're doing in Christ, we are always infants. We're always attached to him. We're branches on a vine. We're sheep to the shepherd. And to to the degree that we believe this truth about ourselves and live out of that belief, really live out of that belief before God and before one another, then we can grow. In fact, we will grow. Actually saying, by myself, I can't grow is the first step to growing. It's the first step to growing. We'll then be useful to God. But if I think I've arrived, right? if I think I'm better off than these other Christians, mediocre, lightweight, shallow Christians, I got my doctrine straight, look at what I'm doing for Jesus, right? then I'm done for. There's no room. There's no room for the Holy Spirit. There's no room for the Word to work in us. And I'm done for. Right? But God says, you're growing up into salvation through this milk. Now, some of you may be wondering, right, salvation, but how do you grow into something that you already have? I'm saved. I am a Christian. What are you talking about? Peter's talking about, obviously, not just conversion. He's talking about what we talked about last week, the fullness of salvation, the whole thing from beginning to end, right? 
he's not just talking about conversion and justification. He is talking about when we will be, you will be, I will be transformed into the image of Christ inside and on the outside. In chapter 1, verse 5, Peter calls it the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And God's word helps us get along in that process. It's, It's absolutely vital to that process, just like water and sunlight, absolutely vital to get those things to grow in your garden. And in the New Testament, this full maturity, right, is called in other places, James 1.4, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says that as we look at the gospel, as we take a hold of it by faith, the Spirit transforms us from one level of glory to the next level of glory. 2 Peter 1.4 says that through God's promises in his word, we are to be partakers of the divine nature, nothing less than that. That's an amazing promise. That's absolutely crazy. Partakers of the divine nature that we'll have, a, in a sense, a peace of God in us. Like We will be as close to the divine as we can be, humanly speaking, without crossing that line between creator and creature. That is our destiny in Christ. And that's the salvation, right? the full salvation that Peter is getting at. And we are to grow up into it. And the word is absolutely vital to that, to that end. Now, what does this teach us? This teaches us a couple of things. Number one, we learn salvation is not a static thing. Salvation is not a static thing. All right. It's dynamic, it's vital, it's active, it's growing, right? Anything healthy grows. Right. And same thing in the spiritual world. Your roots, okay, your roots. Just using a plant analogy, tree analogy, your roots. That's your heart, that's your desires, that's your motivations, that's your character, that's your insides are growing deep. And on the outside, the trunk and the branches and the leaves, what is that? That's the fruit, that's your life, that's your behavior, that's your decisions, right? That's your emotions coming out. That's growing too. And think about a child. Birth is not the end of a process. It's the beginning of life, right? It's the beginning of life. So if your child is one or two today, their five-year-old and six-year-old version will completely astound you and surprise you. Go, what happened? Where did all the time go? Time absolutely flies. I can't believe you know, I used to change your diapers and now you're going to school and you can read books and you can hear everything I say and process it all. That's dangerous, but you're growing. You're absolutely growing, right? You'll look back and it's amazing. And the natural course of things is we should look back and be like, yeah, you know, not in a boastful kind of way, but like honestly, look back and go, wow, God worked through those limitations. God worked through those failures. God worked through those weaknesses. And look, like my reaction to the same circumstance is so much more different three years, uh, three years now than it was back then. More patient, more joyful, more stable, more poised, right? More loving. All the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. The goal of Bible intake is nothing less than growing into the fullness of Christ. It's not behavior alteration, right? That is the great danger. It's not just bettering your life. It's not accumulating theological knowledge. The supreme goal of Bible reading, Bible study, Bible meditation, longing for the word is Christ-likeness. And anything else, and what have we done? We just turned the gospel into a clinical object of study. Just look at it and marvel at all its facets and go, wow, 
But you know what God wants you to do is take that diamond and put it on your finger, right? And say, it's yours. Own it. Master it and let it master you in the process. It's not just another moral book like The Secret, right? It's not just on the same shelf as other sacred writings. The word of God is the only way to help us grow up into this great salvation. Secondly, I think we also learn from this that this spiritual milk, right? Since it's the only way that we can grow, grow up into salvation, then, right, just from the word long itself, I can say this, but by absolute implication, we need to be completely saturated in the word of God. I mean completely saturated, where Tim Keller calls it, your mental furniture needs to become scripture. The way you think needs to be scripture. Right? The way you emote needs to be scripture. The way you make decisions needs to be scripture. How do you think through a million and one different decisions in your life needs to be based upon the word of God, right? Because a million and one decisions in our lives are not based on scripture directly, right? There's so many different, they're all, they're all great options. They're all neutral, gray area. How do I think through this? And that takes a long time. And we fumble through a lot of decisions, but that's okay. God gives us the greater grace as we humble ourselves and say, Lord, I need more of you in me so that I can become the kind of person that would make a wiser choice next time. We need to be absolutely saturated. Why? The word of God is the only way you get saved, right? Verse says, right? This is the good news that was preached to you, verse 25. You've been born again through this imperishable seed, which is the word of God, which is the gospel. That's how we get our new life. That's how we get nurtured. That's how we grow up in this new life. Right? Analogy with mother's milk, right? Mother's milk has very, very amazing properties. Doctors, am I not right? Right, moms, am I not? It has certain antibodies, certain vitamins, minerals, nutrients. <laughs> What's the word? Antibodies. It gives certain immunities, right? It gives certain kind of brain growth and development and all that jazz, all that good stuff that you would not be able to get any other way, right? The same thing with God's word, right? If we, if we don't have it like that in our, in our lives, what happens is we get malnourished, right? Spiritually anemic, right? Spiritually weak so that we can't hold up under trials. Facing sin and temptation, we cave in all the time. Psalm 119, David says, you know, I, your word I've treasured in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against thee. And every wind of doctrine and every new thing out on the horizon in the, in the world of Christendom, or it's called Christendom, right? We'll, we'll, just, we'll just go to it, tossing and turning like a wave. But Peter says, get back to center and be engulfed by the word. It's authority. It's truth. It's wisdom, right? When you get that in, that'll purify you. That'll sanctify you. That'll set you apart to God and for God's work. John 17, 17, what does Jesus say in his prayer, the night of his crucifixion? Sanctify them. Make them holy. Make them yours, right? Separate them unto yourself, O Lord. Purify them in your truth. What's the truth? Your word is truth. It mustn't be a supplement to our lives, right? To think that I can go on a meager diet of the word of God and then face temptation and over, you know, overcome sin and, and, and do well in trials is absolutely ludicrous. It's insane. We are setting ourselves up for disaster every time we think that way, right? If the word of God grows us up into salvation, then I need it right now. 
I need it all the time. I need it every day. I need it in every way I can get it through every channel of media I can get it, right? Whatever it takes. That is the main course. Nothing else will do, right? I mean, a lot of, a little illustration I was thinking about, a lot of, um, this happens with Asian parents. I don't know why. A lot of Asian parents, you, you guys out there know this, but they take way too many vitamins. Have you noticed this? When you go to your houses, and it's like a tray of like white bottles everywhere, and it's like the latest thing my mom is telling me. What is this stuff? Stop taking so many things. Herbal supplements all over the place. And they, after a while, it's like they actually believe that's, that's it. Like this is going to save their lives. This is going to prolong their life, make their lives more, you know, everything. That's the main thing. I say, Mom, the real nourishment is just good food. All right? This is not going to help you. And so stop giving me these weird smelling honeycomb extract twig juice pills. Like, what am I going to do with this? And I'm not going to take it. And if she ever gives me some, I, you know, I might take one just to appease her, but then it, it gets thrown away. I just need healthy diet and exercise. <laughs> but the word easily slides into second and third place just like that, doesn't it? We think something else is the main course. Something else is the main offering. Oh, that's more attractive. Ooh, that sounds good. That's my problem. I get very easily bored with the word of God. And then that shouldn't surprise you because I bet for a lot of us, a lot of you, that's probably true. Waking up in the morning, oh, what a joy. I get to open up the word of God, absolutely. You're singing and walking on cloud nine. I wish that were the case with me. Right? But God's invitation to us is, look, I know. God knows our weaknesses. He knows our unbelief. And what he's saying, take that weakness, take that unbelief in my word, take all your self-reliance, Take all of that and just even in a weak, very, very broken way, just aim your heart at the truth, at the gospel. And you know what? After a while, over time, its singular beauty and its excellency will just come alive to us. That is the promise. That over time, all right, I would swoon under its power, right? Because the gospel is power, Romans 1, right? It is the power of God unto salvation. It is not just the way to get to power. It's the power itself. And as I just come to the word like that and open myself up to it with all my baggage, the power eventually will come. Jesus will show up. He will come and he will stir my heart and he will renew my, my thinking and he will shake me and grip me. He will, that's what he, he will be feeding me. You'll be feeding me and I will grow up in that grace, into that salvation, right? Have you ever had that kind of a moment where it's been a long time since you've really fellowshiped with Christ and then for just some out of nowhere type of reason, sparked by you don't know what, it's only the Holy Spirit, right? You just decide to pick up and read something from the word and it's like, wow, this is really good. You know, wow, this is really penetrating. Wow, this is exactly what I needed. This is like beyond amazing. You say, wow, nice to see you, Jesus. It's been a long time. You know, it's really, really good to meet you again. I forgot that I was in you and you were in me, right? And I let other things get in the way. Take up and read. Saturate. It becomes your mental furniture, right? Now, number three, how do you get this longing? How do you generate this craving, this appetite? How can Peter command that? Well, I'll give you three ways, okay, three ways. First of all, 
right? The first way is the way of regeneration. You have to be a Christian. This letter was written, all the letters, right, are written to Christians of the New Testament. And so he's assuming you're a Christian. You have to be a Christian to even have, yeah, even have the possibility for this command to be obeyed, right? If you're not born again, you know what? You can like the word of God. You can be enlightened by the word of God. You can even be encouraged, maybe blessed by the word of God. You can know a lot. I mean, there are theological liberals, scholars out there who know the word of God through and through better than all of us combined, times a million, all right? But that's all they can have, right? You will never, ever have a rightly motivated, sustained, deep gut-level commitment to the word of God, and you will never be able to truly delight in it as a lover delights in his beloved unless you are born again. Unless you're born again, made anew in Christ. You're a new creature in Christ. You have new affections, new desires, all that good stuff. It's impossible without it. Why? Think through this with me. All right? Christianity is not primarily a set of rules and regulations that I just dump on you. It's not just a bunch of moral stories and wisdom sayings. That's not what Christianity is about. Right? It's primarily about a person, Jesus Christ, and his work. But if Christianity is any of those other things, right? Collection of moral wisdom, philosophical principles, set of rules, then all you have to do is just brute obedience. Here's the command, read it, go out and do it. The end. But it can't work that way. He's commanding longing. He's commanding you to have an appetite and to exercise that. How is that possible if it's just a set of rules, if it's just a bunch of principles to live by? No. What, what, what the word of God teaches us is that you need a new principle inside of you. You need a new power inside of you. You need a new heart inside of you. You need an imperishable seed to come inside of your soul, get implanted in there, and then it grows by the power of God into an imperishable life. That's where longing comes from. You can't just will an appetite to appear tomorrow. You just wake up, I'm gonna, you know, you just, night before, I pray that I love cauliflower and then wake up, you know what, I love cauliflower. I can't, have, just, just, I can't have enough of it. I'm going to go to the grocery store right now and just scarf it all down. You can't do that with an appetite, with a longing. How can he command that? Because you have a new power, a new truth, a new appetite inside of you, right? Most, when I was very young, maybe it's most of you, but when I was very young, I hated sushi. I couldn't stand the taste of it. It was absolutely disgusting to my palate. But you know what? One day, all of a sudden, I'm at a Japanese restaurant, and I'm with my parents, and I'm reaching over first, and I'm eating sushi, and the weird sushis I'm eating. And I don't know why I'm eating those sushis. And I'm eating them and delighting in them. And I can't remember when. I grew to like it. I just got older. My taste buds changed. Right? But you can't turn on, in the spiritual realm, you can't just turn that on. It doesn't just happen over time. With spicy foods, with appetites, with all these things that you can't handle when you're little, in the natural realm, as you get older, you can handle them. In the spiritual realm, it doesn't work that way. You need God's direct intervention in your life. And he needs to remake you. And then new appetites. And then new affections. And then new hungers. And then new drives. That's Christianity. Christianity is not primarily a set of rules. Second way. So re the way of regeneration, number two, is the way of repentance. Verse one of chapter two. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. The way of repentance it's interesting, the placement, right? Right before 
he gets to, long for the pure milk of the word, he says, put these things away. The word there literally means to like take off, like filthy garments, take them off, get rid of them. Get rid of them, don't wash them, get rid of them and burn them, all right? They're no good. Peter is saying is sin. Especially here, these are all relational sins within the body of Christ. It's a craving killer. It's a craving killer. How so? Well, on the one, in one way, these sins, just if you put it simply, they're part of your old self. They're part of the unregenerate, what we just talked about, right? Unregenerate self, spiritually dead self. And if my heart is turned towards sin, it'll kill my appetite for the things of God's word, right? Sin robs me of my satisfaction in God and his word. I'm constantly killing that, that desire, killing that appetite. And the sins listed here, right, they, they, they show a person, right, if this is true of a person, they, they show a person who's really turned in on themselves, right, and they really are hating others. And that kind of person can only long for more of their own glory, right, with this kind of sin in their lives. They, they can't. They won't submit to the gospel and cry out for it as a baby does for his mother's milk, but as we see these sins in our own lives, right? And as we realize, you know what? I am born again. God has made me anew. These sin or sin itself does not have the power that it had over me, right? As that happens, right? as repentance happens, then it clears the way for appetites to be reactivated, if you will. Psalm 19, Psalm 119, if you are familiar with them or you go back and read them, it's amazing. You have all this like outpouring of praise for God's word. And then at the same time, you have the psalmist saying, you know, I'm a sinner. I've gone astray. Please help me, right? Point out any things in me that you see. I can't discern my hidden errors, my hidden sins. He's crying out for God to shepherd him, right? At the same time, I love your word. I delight in it. Oh, I'm such a sinner, right? Repentance cleanses your spiritual eyes so that you can long for God's word. You actually start to see, wow, it is beautiful. It's not just knowledge. It's penetrating into the depths of my soul. Thirdly, the third way then is the way of remembering. The way of remembering. Verse three. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Long for the pure milk of the word. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The sense is that you have tasted it, right? I mean, through his word, you've tasted how good he is, how gracious he is. You, you, you've tasted his life. Philippians 2.16 calls the word the word of life. It's given you life and life abundantly, and you've tasted it. Hebrews 4.12 calls the word living and active, and it goes down deep into your soul. You've tasted it. James 1.19 says the word the word of truth births you again and you've tasted it, the life that comes out of that, right? John 20, 21, you believed in the word about Christ and by that belief, you have life in his name. You have life, right? You don't have just a new understanding of things, a new perspective, a new horizon, all right? You don't just have knowledge, you have new life. You've tasted it. And this is really the reason, capital T H E that this craving and yearning for God's word should be inside of each and every one of us who professes Christ. 
right? Because, the, because of the good news that was preached to us, right? Remember that, right? Consider it by faith that you have been born again through the word of God, right? Remember that goodness. Remember his grace, right? It's his good news, verse 25. It's not just buck up, change your life, do this, stop doing that, get your act together. That's, that's not the heart of the good news that was preached to you. That's not the heart of the good news that Peter is redirecting us towards. That's not how you and I got saved, right? Because I offered up my works to God. No, we got saved because Jesus offered up his son on the cross, right? And took away every one of our sins, past, present, and future. Do you, do I, do we remember that first blessing, that first grace? And really, do we see it all around us, even now, every day? It's not long for the word and then get his goodness, right? That would be an entirely different message. We wouldn't be at a church. (laughs) We would be at a self-help seminar. It's long for the word because you've already tasted the goodness of the Lord. Not just I've known about it, not just I've seen it from a distance and saw glimmers of it, not just have hints of it here and there in my life, but I've tasted it. That's a very appropriate word. I've personally experienced it. It's made changes in my life, changes that I cannot account for apart from the word of God. Deep within my soul, I've tasted his grace. That, guys, that's what kickstarts a dormant heart for God's word, right? And that's what gets it to a place where it is, that heart is like a newborn craving for his mother's milk. Look, the way of regeneration, remember, you are born again. Draw upon that power. Feed on that by faith. Repent of your sins, right? Well, sin has, you know, sin and its condemnation and its penalty has been canceled over you. The old life has nothing on you. You are a new creature in Christ. Remember that. Draw upon that power. Thirdly, taste and see that Christ has been and is currently and always will be gracious to you. Take small steps of faith. With all of our weakness, with all of our sins, small steps of faith, start there. And you know what? The longing, God promises, the longing will grow because in the end, he will do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've made, you've made a miraculous change in our lives. You've caused us to be born again through the, through the living and abiding word of God. We thank you for the many graces that you have gifted us with. We thank you that we can draw upon, those, draw upon this grace for the power that we need, Lord. We ask for your help. We ask for your help as your children for this longing to truly be in our hearts. We know that you would never command a thing that would be impossible. You would only command it because, Lord, you give us the greater grace to obey these things. And we pray and we ask, O oh Lord, that you would constantly remind us of who we are in Christ. You would remind us of how important this word is to our salvation. And Lord, through all of these things, Lord, that we would long for the pure spiritual milk we would recognize that it's the only way that we can grow up into salvation.
We pray, Father, that we would treat the word in this light, that we would revere it, that we would love it, that we would cherish it because it has birthed us again by its power and by its power, it's continuing to renew us and sanctify us and make us more like Christ. What a joy it is to have this word be in our lives. What a joy that you would reveal yourself to us in this way. And what a joy that you give us the greater grace to take up this word, to read it, to meditate upon it, and to grow from it and through it. We thank you, Lord, for this word this morning. And we pray that as we walk away from this, we would just remember and count all of our blessings in Christ. And that would activate a heart of longing for your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.